Well, welcome, welcome again. My name is Pastor AJ, one of the pastors here at the Movement Church. It's my distinct pleasure and privilege to continue in this teaching series called Worship and Wisdom. So we're journeying through the Psalms and the Proverbs uh, since the beginning of the year. We're going to continue to do that for a few more weeks, um, a couple of months actually. We'll get into March going through this, and there's so much goodness here. Uh, if you caught the beginning of the message, a little bit of a recap, some of the, the takeaway elements from the previous messages, you can find them all at themovement.church slash messages, and uh, click on this graphic. You'll see the icon there. Go watch Pastor Edward, Pastor Spencer. They had some very profound words that will encourage, that will convict and challenge. And I hope that I can um, do the same today. I hope I can do the same today. And so we're going to jump right in with our tension question. Most weeks we have a tension question that hopes, helps to kind of frame where this message is going and what it's all about. So as I was reading the Psalms and Proverbs and preparing, I kind of landed here. What are my needs and how do I satisfy them? What are my needs and how do I satisfy them? I hope that that can be a compelling question because if we all have needs. Everybody has a need, right? Um, but what are they and, and how do you satisfy them? And part of my burden for us is that our perception of our needs is often grossly exaggerated. Like we, we overestimate what we need. In fact, I, I don't have it here, but... I thought about putting up the definition, like what does Webster say? What, what, what is the definition of need versus want? Because I think we get those mixed up in our minds. We say we need something, and the reality is we probably just want it. There's only very few things we need. Jesus talks about that at length in his Gospels. Um, and so we, we grossly exaggerate them, but can I, can I be real with you? Let me share a, a quote that you've probably heard before. This has perhaps been attributed to to uh, Tyler Durden of Fight Club fame. I think Dave Ramsey has been associated with this. But you've probably heard this. We buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. Ouch. Like that, that might sting a little bit. Maybe you've heard that. Maybe that doesn't apply to you. But maybe you need to search your heart. Maybe it does. I think it might apply to us whole credit card industry, money we don't even have. We're buying things that we don't really need. So I don't know, something to kind of think about. But if I, I can be real, real, if I could be real, real, I'm going to take it to another level here. Um, Spencer had brought up this book. Well, he talked about it, this idea of Eremos from last week, this quiet place, the, the lonely place uh, that Jesus went to after he was baptized, but before he kind of began his earthly ministry, it was tempted by the devil, 40 days, 40 nights, fasting, praying. Uh, that, that word, eremos, um, it didn't come from here, but uh, Pastor John Mark Comer wrote this book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, and he unpacks that at length, and it's, it's profound. Um, I encourage you, pick that book up. Uh, it's pretty transformative if you allow it to be... Um, but he shared this little story, and I just want to share this with you, this notion of um, store cities. So he talked about back in the day, uh, that day kind of being uh, Moses' day and, and the nation of Israel being enslaved by Egypt. Um, 
And in their slavery, they worked seven days a week. There was no respite. There was no breaks for them. Uh, you know, very gross oppression. The pyramids were built on the backs of slaves. Um, and so we see that, that, that historical truth written about in our Bibles. Um, and then there's also talk about store cities. Archaeologists have confirmed this, and they, they know that there were these store cities. They had so much abundance in Egypt as a result of some of this slave labor that they had to have these store cities to where they could put it all. And John Mark Comer makes a pretty compelling point that like stings, but we're not that far removed from the Egypt of Moses' day. America um, obviously has the gross sin and stain of slavery um, bringing folks from Africa to these shores. And you know what? I mean, man, he talks about this and I don't want to get too much into it, but like some of that stuff that they were picking cotton for clothing. And it hasn't like, even though there was a civil war and slavery has been abolished, but kind of has it, we've just kind of offshored it. It's kind of out of sight, out of mind. Slavery, there are 28 million slaves in the world today. Slavery hasn't gone away. It's just out of our sight. And so many of the things that we wear, the things that we buy on Amazon or what have you, they might have been made by slave labor in some part of Bangladesh or Vietnam or Thailand or, or other places around the globe. Are we conscientious of that? Are we even aware that that's going on, that we are a part of this, that we are complicit in this? And so we don't have store cities anymore. We have storage units. And what John Mark Homer goes on to suggest, or not suggest, it's just a fact, there are $38 billion wrapped up in that industry alone. $38 billion just in storage units. All that stuff we don't need, that we bought with money we don't have to impress the people we don't like. Sometimes we don't even, like, there's no room for it in our mega mansions. And obviously we're in the Bay Area, so contextually that might not resonate. You're living in a studio and you've split it four ways with people. Like, I understand that there is an element of contextualization, but we are far richer than perhaps we know. Um, and, and there's this idea of storage units. So the parallels are striking. It was very sobering for me to read that. Um, if I'm just being real, real, that's, that's part of my burden around this message. So what are our needs and, and how can I satisfy them? Consequently, when we're, we're chasing the wind here, like what I mean by that is we have these needs, supposed needs that we've exaggerated. It's like King Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes, he writes over and over that we're just chasing the wind the pursuit of these material things, the pursuit of wealth or even folly, it's all just, it's, it's hevel is the word, hevel. It's like vapor. It's meaningless. It's meaningless. We're chasing after the wind. Do we believe that? Do we, do we recognize that there's a potential for that? And so hopefully, hopefully we recognize that a little bit. And so we want to do something about it. I think that if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are an apprentice under Rabbi Jesus, who is our great teacher, he has some things to, to share with us about this. And we don't want to be that. So how do we satisfy needs? What, what are our actual needs? 
We're going to get into that. Uh, but one, one last quote from the book, a gentleman named Ronald Rollheiser had this to say, so much of our unhappiness comes from comparing our lives, our friendships, our loves, our commitments, our duties, our bodies, and our sexuality to some idealized and non-Christian vision of things, which falsely assures us that there is a heaven on earth. Let that sink in for a minute. So much of our unhappiness comes from the comparison game of these idealized non-Christian visions that we conjure up or that is, that is propagated, propaganda, the, the marketing that is, that is bombarding us, the advertising, it's all trying to get us to think that we need something else. It's, it's out there. We don't have it and I need that. And we do this comparison thing and it's, I don't know, I was just at some point as I was preparing for this message, I was just thinking and meditating on the Ten Commandments and one of the commandments is do not covet, like don't covet. Don't covet your neighbor's oxen, don't covet his wife, don't covet his stuff, like don't do that. Um, I think God was onto something and we, we have fallen into the devil's trap of comparing and coveting and being envious and we want, it's this insatiable desire for more. And my burden is it's just chasing after the wind. And I know we don't wanna do that, so here's the outline for today. There's hope, friends. There's hope. Hang in there. I'm not trying to beat you up too much, but I just want to get you to a place where maybe there's, there's a little bit of conviction. And again, that's it's not my territory. It's up to God. It's up to the Holy Spirit to do that. But we're going to take a look at one proverb, one psalm, bring it to a gospel close, and then see how we can apply this good news. So let's start off in Proverbs. Proverbs 30, 7 through 9. And this is actually, this proverb isn't Solomon. This is King Agur. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. A-G-U-R, Agur, Agur, doesn't matter. But it's not Solomon. It is King Agur. And he writes, Oh God, I beg two favors from you. Let me have them before I die. First, help me never to tell a lie. That's pretty good. But that's not where we're going to spend the bulk of our time. Second, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? And if I am too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. So we see King Agar here, give me just enough to satisfy my needs. Like I feel like each one of those words is specific. Each one of those words is, is powerful. Um, we think we need more, but we really don't. And even... Even in, in poverty, there could be problems. Dr. Tony Evans commentates this way. Here's a kingdom-minded attitude that will spare you a lifetime of worry. Neither poverty nor wealth offer safety from sin. We need to keep material things in their proper perspective and ask God to meet our needs. Ask God to meet our needs so we can keep our focus where it ought to be. So part of this satisfaction can be found in, in asking God to meet our needs. There's another gentleman who I, I don't know that anybody's heard of this guy. I hadn't heard of him before I began studying his name. His full name is Frederick Brotherton Meyer. I just thought that was cool. I think in many of the websites, it was just FH or I'm sorry, FB Meyer. 
but I was like, what does the FB stand for? And I was pleasantly surprised to find that. So anyways, um, Frederick Brotherton, Brother Brotherton says, but there is other food which is needful. The daily bread of love, of hope, of holy thought and fellowship. There is other hunger than that of the body. But this also will be provided according as each day requires. So I got to pause here because in some translations, I'm using the the New Living Translation. And so it says, uh, give us what we need to satisfy our needs. But I think in other translations, it talks about food. So there's this, so you could think very literally about food and bread. Like those are some of the words that can be translated like that. So uh, what Mr. Meyer here is talking about is, He's kind of referencing that. So um, these needs, it's not just food, that there's other things that we need. And these are, these are deeply spiritual needs, love, hope, holy thought, fellowship, the body of believers. Don't neglect to meet one with another as is the habit of some. I love, it's one of my favorite verses in Hebrews and it's probably because I'm an extrovert and I love people and I just want to be with people all the time. But I have a deep need for that. Um, and if we're being honest, I think we all have that need. So, so Dr. Evans is talking about kind of keeping materialistic things in their proper perspective, asking God for what we need. Brother Meyer here talks about there's other needs beyond just food and sustenance. And even the secular world talks about this. On the next slide, I've got uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I don't know if you guys have seen this, if you're familiar with it. Uh, This is kind of psychology 101 or sociology 101 in many ways. Um, So some of you may be familiar with it. If you're not, I'm excited. But I don't want to spend too, too much time here. But but I do want to show that that these are needs that we have. At the base of the pyramid, there are some very real physiological needs. Air, water, food, shelter, clothing. Um, those, are, those are needs, and we, we absolutely need them. You can't go more than three minutes without air, more than three days without water, more than three weeks without food. Like These are just some averages that the, the scientists have said, so there's very real physiological needs. Spoiler alert, uh, Jesus at, at some point in the scripture talks about really all you need is food and clothing. So like just, just marinate on that for a little bit. Jesus is hanging out on the physiological. <laughs> he doesn't even like really get to this, but I think, I think in some ways that there are there's truth to and validity to some of these other needs. Safety, we need safety. We need, we need jobs. It talks about employment. How are we going to make the money we need to provide for these physiological needs? We live in a day and age where you can't just, I mean, I guess you could try to build a lock cabin or something. I don't think anybody has those skill sets anymore. And I'm not advocating that we regress back to kind of a stone age mentality. Please don't misunderstand. Um, but we need we need employment so that we can pay for some of these necessary provisions. Love and belonging, me personally, I would tell Maslow he needs to reorder these. I think that this is a deeper need than many people give it credit. Actually, we were having a conversation this morning and, and talking about how belonging is such a deep need, the sense of connection and friendship, intimacy with another human being. We weren't made to live in isolation. There's no such thing as a lone wolf. There's definitely no such thing as a lone Christian. And if, if you think that, then, then you're deeply mistaken. Um, because if God himself, Yahweh, one essence God, 
is a triune God of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there is community that is wrapped up in that deep doctrine. So uh, he is a relational God amongst himself, didn't need to create us, but did. And he wants us to enjoy him and enjoy one another. So I think that God has wired us for this, and that's good. Esteem, we need esteem, we need uh, respect, self-actualization. But this is, this is, I think, perhaps where things start to go off the rails. Uh, frankly, they can go off the rails at any point along this. I guess that was kind of the point I was trying to make. I'm, I'm describing them, but in reality, though we need these, how much of it do we really need? Like, how do I, how do I satisfy just what I need? When Jesus models his, the Lord's prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Like, there's a daily requirement. Um, we don't need as much as we think because then we end up with the storage units, the store cities. We throw food out. Can I tell you, can I, can I tell you, like, I just, this is a conviction that I have. Like, I, I grieve when things spoil in my fridge and I toss it out. There are people who are starving in other parts of the world. And so I just, that's something like I'm, I'm conscientious of that. Do I buy more than I need when we go to the grocery store? Why do I need all of that stuff? I don't need it. But are we even, as Dr. Evans talked about, are we asking God, do I need this? I don't know. I don't, I don't think we slow down enough to even contemplate, to marinate on whether we need this or not. Even as it relates to kind of love and belonging. I think if we're being honest We've probably, if you're, if you're a little bit more advanced in age, you've probably uh, had friendships that you probably shouldn't have had. You probably rolled in circles that you probably shouldn't have. Not that they're bad people per se, but uh, it's potential that they were uh, corrupting good character, that they're, they're just not on this wavelength of following Jesus. And so we end up doing things that we regret later in life, but are we... Are we asking God about the friends that we keep, the company that we keep? And even the self-actualization, self-esteem, and it's like the root there is self. And it kind of seems a little selfish, a little too self-centered. We have the luxury in, in the United States, in the Western world, to be able to even get to this apex, this climax of Maslow's hierarchy of needs where we're thinking about self-actualization when many parts around the world, I think in one diagram he was talking about 70% of the world uh, lives on less than 10,000 a year or something like that. It's just abject poverty. And so that's, that's nice that, that we get to think about this, but are we even thinking about others? Are we asking God? So the good news on the next slide is that really Jesus can inform all of this. Jesus provides that. Like, do we recognize that he is our provider? He's our creator. He is our sustainer. The very breath, we sing songs about, it's your breath in my lungs, so I'll pour back the praise. Um, do we recognize that Jesus is the one who created and sustains us and gives us all of these various needs? He knows what you need, right? The Bible talks about, God knows what you need before you even ask him, but he delights in us asking him. And so are we asking God about these things? Are we communing with Jesus? Have we slowed down from our frenetic pace enough 
to realize that we need Jesus we need the Holy Spirit to provide wisdom and discernment on these various things that Jesus will satisfy all of your needs. Love and belonging, like we, we talk about Jesus as our friend, like he is a friend. He sticks closer than a brother. He knows what you need more than, than you know. He knows you better than you know yourself. So as far as self-actualization, there's a part that he wants to play. He wants to redeem all of this. And he can, if you'll let him. So by way of reminder, the tension question, what are my needs and how do I satisfy them? Very simply, Jesus satisfies your every need when you humbly ask and believe. Jesus can satisfy every single need along that pyramid. Food, clothing, belonging, self-esteem, all the way on up a job, like Jesus knows. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere. He is omniscient. He is all-knowing. God is outside of space and time. Like he, he knows that you need a job. He knows the difficulty that the coronavirus lockdowns have, have brought. There are people in our church who unfortunately have, have lost jobs. And it is, I mean, we are called to mourn with them we are also called to, to help bear one another's burdens. And, and we, those who have enough needs, man, this is, talk about be generous, right? Be generous is not just a campaign we do in December. <laughs> be generous is a lifestyle. It is, it is an invitation that Jesus gives to us. Man, this wasn't even part of, the, wasn't part of the plan. Be generous is what we're called to do. It's what God did for us. So the needs that, that others have, we might have more than we need, but we can, we can give of that out of our surplus to, to bring everybody up so that they have enough. That, that's not just a December thing, family. That's a, that's a day-by-day thing. Are we aware of others' needs? How can we fulfill those needs? But recognizing that Jesus can transform us, can transform our thought life to be more other-focused, then inward focused, but really it requires a humility. There's an asking and a believing, right? I think we don't ask because we don't believe. That just hit me. Oops. <laughs> I, think, I think we don't necessarily believe that Jesus, like, yes, that's the church answer, AJ. Cool, Jesus, Jesus satisfies my need. That's the problem. There's this, there's this scoffing Attitude. You need to go back and watch another message on scoffing. I'm not going to recap it, but basically we don't believe it. And because we don't believe that Jesus can satisfy our needs, we don't ask. Chew on that. All right. Sorry. Moving, <laughs> moving along. That was supposed to be more helpful. I feel like I didn't leave it in a helpful place, but it's true. If we do ask, God loves humility. He opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So let's humbly ask and let's truly believe that he can, because he can provide our every need. All right, we're gonna hopefully have more encouragement here in the Psalm, taking a look at Psalm 30. Okay, so we were in Proverbs 30, now we're in Psalm 30, and this is King David saying, when I was prosperous, I said, nothing can stop me now. I just wanna pause here real quick. In the proverb, King Agar said, hey, don't give me, riches nor poverty give me just enough to satisfy my needs because if I'm if I'm prosperous if I'm too rich I may deny you and say who is the lord 
And here we see David in the Psalm doing that very thing. Nothing can, there's this prideful heart here. Nothing can stop me as if he were the one who was prosperous. But in the next slide, in the next verse, there's a recognition. Your favor, O Lord, made me as secure as a mountain. There's the, the recognition that it really, the, the divine providence from God to, to provide David his prosperity. It wasn't in David. Ultimately, it was in God. And there's a recognition here, but oh, that recognition came a little bit too late because David boasted, David was proud. Then you turned away from me and I was shattered. How many have felt that way? Like God's not near. God, where are you? Feeling despondent and shattered and broken. Perhaps it's because there was some pride around what you have and, and that you were the one who got it or whatever. Goes on to say, I cried out to you, O Lord. I begged the Lord for mercy saying, what will you gain if I die? If I sink into the grave, can my dust praise you? Can it tell of your faithfulness? Hear me, Lord, and have mercy on me. Help me, O Lord. So there is this heart cry like David. David is penitent. He's repentant. He's crying out for mercy here. And I believe the psalm closes with joy. Here's the good news. You've turned my mourning into joyful dancing. You have taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy that I might sing praises to you and not be silent. Oh Lord, that's Yahweh, my God, I will give you thanks forever. Key words here, singing praise and not being silent. Let's see what the commentators have to say. Going back to Tony Evans, the good doctor says, when experiencing the disciplining divine hand, David humbled himself and sought favor from God. There's a seeking component. There's a humbleness, a repentance. He pleaded with God for forgiveness. And he wanted God's restoration and healing so that he could publicly exalt the God who delivers. Hmm. Interesting. There was an element of he wanted this healing and restoration toward the end of public exaltation. He goes on. David concludes the psalm celebrating how God has removed the sackcloth of sorrow and replaced it with the clothing of gladness. As a result, David refuses to be silent. How could he be? How could we be? When we experience the deliverance of God, in whatever form it takes, spiritual, physical, emotional, relational, financial, let our testimony be the same as David's, Lord my God, I will praise you forever. Testimony, a refusal to be silent, public exaltation. You're starting to see the pattern here? You see what's going on with this psalm? So in the, in the proverb, we see that there's this we have to ask. There's a humble asking, and, and Jesus is faithful. God is faithful to give us what we need, our daily bread and beyond, all of the various needs we have. There's also another component here, um, and it's not just so that we can be happy and we can be satiated with all of these goodies in this world, the material things. There's an element of a refusal to be silent, testimony, 
And so, yeah, I want to get into that, but I'm going to testify real quick myself. I think that, that uh, at the end of last year, there was this revelation. I believe that the Holy Spirit was impressing on me this idea of spiritual indigestion. I don't know where the phrase came from. It just that that was how I felt. And I was like, what is that, God? Like, what, what, what does that mean? And, and really, as I believe God continued to reveal it more and more, I, I mean, I was experiencing low-grade depression. I don't know. I, I felt I've never been a, a depressed kind of guy. I tend to be fairly optimistic. That's just uh, a grace of God. That's how I'm wired. That's my temperament, my personality, whatever. I just, I, I, I love people and I love to be optimistic. It's a general rule of thumb. I'm not, I'm not perfect, obviously. But, um, but, but part of that, like I, I had a need to be around people. My need to be around people is much greater than others. As, as an extrovert far on the E scale, I make introverts cringe at times. <laughs> By God's grace, I've grown in that and I try to meet them where they're at. They have different needs. My wife has a different need than me. She's more introverted than I am. And so I know that there are times and places where I can, I can get my need met from her. But, but if I can't, then I have my mistress, Owen. And I just go to Owen, and Owen provides that avenue for me to say whatever I need to say. And we can talk for hours, and it's glorious because he, like me, has that capacity and it's, it's glorious and it's a safe avenue. He could be my lightning rod. My wife isn't threatened by Owen and it's a good thing. But, but I realized that, you know, during all of this, this, this quarantining and lockdown and, and all the implications of this coronavirus, uh, I wasn't around people as much as, as I needed, like how God had wired me and, and I wasn't able to commune and fellowship with them, but, but perhaps most importantly, coming back to this psalm, I wasn't able to testify. I wasn't sharing the goodness of God. I wasn't singing his praises. I wasn't evangelizing. All of that had been like the kibosh was put on that. And so what happened is I didn't necessarily stop like reading the word or listening to music, worship music, and all of these good and godly things, but it just kind of stopped. It's like I was eating, but I wasn't, you know, the rest. So, but it wasn't a physical thing. It was more of a spiritual thing. There was just this indigestion that I, I and it, it, it really took me taking a few weeks off in December to kind of get there, to understand there's actually a need. Like, we all have this need. I'm not unique in this. If you're a follower of Jesus, you too have this very same need to publicly exalt your Savior. You've got to get it out. And if you don't, you're going to be backed up. And you're going to be, you're going to be low-grade frustrated or depressed or whatever it is. And it's going to look different for everybody, right? I don't have all the time because I, I thought about this. This probably could have been... Uh, uh, sh- there's a lot of ways to parse through that whole pyramid and stuff, but... The reality is uh, everybody has different needs. God has wired us differently that we are all members of a body and that's okay. We need to give ourselves grace because sometimes we do ourselves a disservice by projecting onto others. We project our personality and say, everybody needs to be like us. Where in the Bible does it say that? In fact, it says quite the, quite the opposite. The whole body can't be an eye. The whole body can't be a foot. We need to have these different members of the body and we need to stop projecting on one another. It's not healthy. And so 
anyways, I think that there is a universal need. I think that this is a need that we have that perhaps we're not aware of in our hurry, in our haste to fulfill these other needs that perhaps are not godly to, you know, conform to the patterns of this world. We want to buy and, and, and amass all of this stuff, or we want to look a certain way because that's what's being presented to me. That's what I'm taking in. But the reality is I think we have a need to testify like David recognized, like, Lord, I will praise your name forever. Do we recognize that as a need? Like that's not optional. The great commission is the great commission, not the great suggestion. It's not optional. There's something in that that is actually for our good. It is better to give than receive and not just on a material level. It is good to give the good news of Jesus Christ and that he can save. So I just wanted to share that little anecdote about spiritual indigestion. Hopefully that makes sense. But kind of to to put a bow on this passage in the Psalms, a righteous response looks like this. You were sinking and now you're saved. So you need to sing and not be silent. That, my friends, I think is the rightful, righteous response when we recognize that, that Jesus has fulfilled our needs and our deepest needs. Then, man, we gotta, we gotta talk about it. We talk about all kinds of things. We talk about the restaurants we go to and all the favorite things on Yelp and whatever. Like we talk about a lot of things and that's good. And I don't, I'm not trying to be condemnatory, but if there's any conviction, I think that we need to be less silent about the things of God. Are we sharing this good news with people? And not just in the echo chamber either. Like, this, oh gosh, it's not enough to just, I mean, it's, it's necessary. It's necessary for us to gather together in fellowship. Like I said, I, I have a personal need. My need for that is large. Um, I miss being in person with everybody. This is weird. This is not as fun as if I could see people, but here I am talking to a camera. Um, and hopefully it's blessing you. I pray that it is, but it's not the same. There's a very real need to, to meet in person, but there's also a need to go out there and to share this news with others. It's not about a holy huddle, but it's a hospital for the sick. But are we, are we admitting inpatients? <laughs> are we bringing them in? I mean, it's, it's not quite like the, the, the metaphor breaks down because in a hospital, the people who are sick know they're sick and then they come. But at some point, like on a spiritual level, we don't know that we have these needs Family, I'm just reminding us, like I'm reminding myself, I'm preaching to myself right now. Like I I had a need to share the goodness of God with those who don't know it. Like I have to, we have to remind ourselves, we have to go out there. It's not just, uh, we're going to wait until they show up. You know what I mean? So anyhow, um, yeah, let's not be silent. And so I, (laughs) toward the end of uh, this idea of perhaps being more outward focused, um, singing praises, not being silent, sharing the good news. I have an illustrated gospel. And uh, I, as I was working through this, I'm laughing. You're probably going to laugh. Don't laugh too hard. Um, try, to, try to just like, I don't know, think, uh, think big picture. I don't, I don't know how to describe it, but um, it's going to look very cartoonish. I'm not an artist, right? So I, I know my limitations. Um, I wish I were an artist. I'm not but hopefully you will get the spirit 
of what I'm trying to show here in this illustrated gospel. So, without further ado, here's the deal. Here's Jane, and this is Jane's pyramid of needs. See what I did there, right? Boop, boop. That's Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And before God, I think some of us walk around, and even with God, we, we walk around with our, our little needs pyramid, and it's just us, and we are the center of the world. Mm-hmm. The center of the world. It's just us, and we are so self-centered and focused on us and our needs, but we don't grasp our very deep need for salvation because we, uh, we are all sinners and we all fall short of the glory of God. And apart from the redemptive work of Jesus on the cross, we are doomed. We are doomed. And we will be eternally separated from a loving, good, amazing God in heaven. And so we don't want that, but there's got to be a recognition, right? This is our deepest need. More than, more than the physiological and the love and the self-actualization, we have a need for a savior for eternity. Do we realize that? So in the next slide, kind of drawing upon the language from David, he talked about sinking into the grave. There was this recognition, like, God, if you, if you don't save me, like, what's it going to do if I die, I can't praise you if I sink into the grave. But at some point, the Holy Spirit reveals our need for a Savior, that we are drowning in a sea. It's not just kumbaya and the world revolves around us. We are draw- drowning in a sea of sin and death is on the horizon. And so, uh, oh my God, help. Like that OMG is legit. Like David literally said that, like, help me, O oh Lord. Oh my God, like there is a very real, like that's not me trying to be cute, that's genuine. And at some point, if you're watching this and you have placed your faith in Jesus, there was a moment, at some point, there was a moment or there should have been a moment where you recognized your need for a savior and you cried out for help because you were hopefully awakened to something better than this picture, but there's a very real need. And so, okay, we're sinking in the grave, but... God saves us. He rescues us. And what does David talk about? He says, you made me as secure as a mountain. Your favor, O Lord, made me as secure as a mountain. And so there's this praise that comes from that. When we are saved, we pray. Like that should be the righteous response. Man, I was drowning in my sin and now I'm saved. So I'm going to sing and not be silent. Hallelujah. And when we say hallelujah, I don't know if you knew, fun fact, but that Hallel is praise and Yah is just kind of a shorthand for Yahweh, which is the personal name for our God. Yahweh, I am, the great I am. And so hallelujah, there's praise to Yahweh. That's a righteous response. And I think many of us stop here. And then we go back to that big pyramid and we, get, we just get caught up because we're bombarded constantly with all this messaging you got to buy this and do this and look like that and whatever it is. We, we get trapped in that comparison game. We start coveting and breaking God's commands. And so we stop here, but, but David doesn't stop here. He's like, I'm going to sing your praises and I'm not going to be silent. And, and, and I believe that that is kind of a nod to, we've got to go out there. We've got to partner with the work of the Holy Spirit to help save others. We've got to participate in what Jesus said in the Great Commission. Go. Like, 
Go out there, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Like there's an imperative. There is a, there's got to be movement. We are the movement church. We've got to go. So you've got to sing praises, not be silent, and help, right? It's, we don't just stay there on the island by ourselves, but we go out and we come back. And, and check this out. So, I this, so this is kind of an aerial view. If you can imagine, this is an aerial view. But what does Jesus say? If you follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Isn't that cool? I know it's kind of a cheesy drawing. Like I said, it's like clip art on keynote, so whatever. But hopefully you get the idea. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, it doesn't just stop with you being secure as a mountain. Don't you want others to be secure as a mountain? Don't you want them to, to know the love of a father? Don't you want them to experience the peace and the joy that comes with abiding in Christ, with, with not dealing with all the things of the world, but instead seeking first his kingdom? Like, he's going to make us fishers of men. And what I, I put these little things here, right? So here's the island. We go out, we come back, right? We, we, we gather and we scatter and we do it over and over. But notice that there's different, there's different things because... God's wired you differently. So some people, they might be able to go deep. They're scuba divers. They're spear fishing for people. Some people are just swimmers. Some people are fishing by the shore. Some people, it's more of a communal activity on the sailboat. Whatever it looks like for you, cast your nets out there. My question is, are you even in the boat? Are you in the boat or are you on dry land? And have you been hanging out there perhaps too long? And are you suffering from spiritual indigestion? So friends, I, I hope that you can see that Jesus does satisfy our every need when we ask and believe, but he also implores us and commands us to go. Like it doesn't just stop with us. We've got to go fish for men. And I'm excited for this next season. I'm excited for this next season because I believe that we're going to, we're going to participate in the Great Commission. We are going to be more like fishers of men than we've ever been. Um, and so I hope that excites you. Perhaps a verse that will also be compelling here So we begin to land the plane. Paul writes about this in Romans 10, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard of him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? We have an opportunity as the, the leadership of this church to, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Paul talks about that in Ephesians 4. And so it is, it is imperative upon the leadership to help equip you, those who call the movement your home, if you are a covenant member, if you're an attender, if you believe in, in the things that we talk about here, gotta be honest, we can do better as the leadership to send people out to equip and commission but then you've got to take up that mantle and tell somebody about it. Hopefully there's somebody on your heart, on your mind that you want to you wanna share this with. And so here's the applications as we close. Very simply, two-part kind of thing here, but repent, ask, and believe. If you have not placed your faith in Jesus, if, if the Holy Spirit is moving on you right now in this moment, and you recognize that you are that person who is drowning in a sea of sin, 
and you know that you can't save yourself. Because friends, you can't. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That is the gospel truth. It is offensive, but it is the truth. And it can set you free. And if you want to be freed from a life of sin and death, not just in this life, Jesus promises an abundant life to you here and in the next. All you got to do is repent, turn from your ways, ask and truly believe that Jesus is the son of God, that, that his life was perfect and that his death atoned for your sin and that by placing faith in him, by truly believing and turning away from the things of this world, that salvation can come to you. And if that's you and you, if you want that, man, I encourage you, Owen's probably put it in, in the Facebook chat, um, our, our digital connection card. You can either go to our website, themovement.church, on the landing page there, there's a digital connection card. If you're in the Facebook chat window, click that. If you're a first-time guest, just connect with us, say, hey, I want to follow Jesus, or I've just, I think, I believe now, or whatever it is, like, get a hold of us. Type it into the chat window. We want to celebrate with you, and, and, and no man is an island. No woman is an island. We're not called to do this thing alone. Remember, there is a need. The, the church, the ecclesia, is not a building. It's not a building. It's a people. And so we want to gather you around other like-minded people um, and help you walk this thing out with Jesus. So um, if you find yourself in that camp, but look, the repent thing isn't just a one-time deal. I think sometimes we get it twisted as Christians. We think that, okay, I need to repent and that's salvation and then cool, I got my get out of you know, get out of jail card, my fire insurance so I don't go to hell. And I'll be honest, when I was a kid and I believed and got bad, like that was it for me. Like that was compelling. I didn't want to go to hell. That sounded horrible. And, uh, but like it's not a one-time thing. The whole of the Christian life is one of confession and repentance. Coming back to a, to a loving father who is, who is gracious and merciful and, and longs to forgive you. He is not mad at you. If you've chased the things of this world, it's okay you can come back to him. You can repent. You can, you can believe again. You can ask God to help you believe. God, help me to believe that you actually can satisfy my needs, that I don't need to go to the things of this world. I don't need to go to the bottle. I don't need to go to the mall. I don't need to go to Amazon. I don't need to go to Netflix. I don't need that. What I really need is you, Jesus, and believe that. And so this is for the believer too. This isn't just for those who uh, are coming to faith but that's, we, it's a continual thing. And then go fish. Man, like we have been implored by our rabbi, our teacher, to be fishers of men. And it's an exciting thing. Like if you've not experienced it, I'm telling you, there's nothing like, like ministering to somebody who doesn't know about Jesus and sharing your faith and testifying to the goodness of God, praying for people like that you don't know, strangers. It sounds scary. And believe me, it was when I first started doing it. But can I tell you, like selfishly, like I, like I need that. Like, and it's so life-giving. It really is better to give than receive. And you gotta, you gotta try it. You gotta, you gotta believe me when I tell you. But uh, some of you, may already be on that tip. You're already doing it. So just keep fishing. Go fish. Take others with you. And for those of you who might be a little bit more tenuous, who, who need that equipping, and, and again, we, we can grow as, uh, as a church, as leadership to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. We've got a discipleship meeting coming up. 
Don't miss it. Mark your calendars. Sunday, the 21st, 1 to 3, we are going to help equip you for being a fisherman or a fisherwoman. Like you're, you're going to learn and, and get excited. We're going to encourage you. We're going to equip you. And then we're going to go out and we're going to share this gospel good news. So that's the to-do. Just in closing, uh, as we pray here, Jesus satisfies my needs, but someone else needs him too. So don't stay silent, friends. Don't stay silent. Don't just keep it all to yourself. This little light of mine, I've got to let it shine. So I pray that you would do that this week and beyond. If you'll bow your heads with me, let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you for this word. God, I thank you for David, King David, who at the dedication of the temple recognized his need. He was, he was confessing, he was testifying to his pride and arrogance that he thought he was prosperous and, and no one and nothing can stop him. And then you turned your face from him and he was shattered. And God, I know that, that many of us have felt that. You've allowed things to come into our lives. You've given us over to ourselves um, and, and we've been shattered. And, and in our humility, we come back to you and we say, God, forgive us and you are faithful like the, the prodigal father, you are faithful to run to us, to kiss us, to put a robe on our backs, a ring on our fingers, to, to have a feast for us. If only we would humble ourselves and repent to change our ways. And so God, I pray that we would do that, that we would recognize that, man, that the, the temple is no longer a physical structure, that, that King David in Psalm 30 there was dedicating the temple to you, but the temple is us. We are the living embodiment. We are the temple now, and we have the opportunity to be ambassadors and share this good news. So God, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would awaken us to our deep need, not just to be saved personally, but to partner with you in, in sharing the good news of the gospel, in being commissioned, in, in going out and being fishers of men. Jesus, we want to follow you. We can't do it in our own strength. There's so many fears. There's so many lies of the enemy. And God, I, I pray against them in Jesus' name. Whatever fear might be paralyzing someone and, and preventing them from wanting to, whatever time constraints there are, God, we have so filled our schedules with stuff, bad stuff, good stuff, but have we filled it with the truly great stuff? Do we recognize that this, um, this is the, the highest calling of our lives? We, we have an opportunity to partner with you in seeing souls saved and changed for eternity. Nothing could be more fulfilling. <laughs> Self-actualization, like that's the pinnacle, is partnering with that and to see you move in, in the lives of others. God, I pray that you would awaken us to that. You would give us a deeper awareness of that need and that we would partake in this and that we would taste and see that you are good. That you are not just good for us personally, you are good for others as well. And we've got to publicly exalt you, publicly sing your praises. Lord, help us to do that today and forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.